We're going back to a series that uh, we've dipped into, into and out of during the autumn on Jesus the Christ. And we're looking today at Jesus being the Lamb of God, which is fantastic because we've already referred to him, haven't we, as the, as, as the Lamb of God. And then later on, we're going to be referring to him as the Lamb of God. So hopefully, as we learn more about him, it will actually, if you like, bring the words to life. And we'll just, if you like, have a deeper appreciation of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we're just going to have a couple of short readings during this talk. And the first one is from John chapter 1 and verses 29 to 31. It's probably a passage that we are really familiar with. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me before he, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And what we're looking at here in my talk, we're looking, we're looking at two big introductions that Jesus had. The first is here. John the Baptist is in the, in the desert. It's not kind of the place where you and I would particularly like to, like to be. He lived there. Can, you, can any of you remember what he used to dress, dress in? He had a strange sort of, a strange kind of dress. Yeah, he wore a coat of camel's hair. Okay, had a leather belt, and his diet was wild locusts and honey. So it's slightly different to you and I. He was a bit of a wild man. We know that he was related to Jesus in some way. A cousin, first cousin, second cousin, we don't really know. And he had a particular message, and that was to call people back to God. And people were coming back to God. But he was really careful to say, look, I'm not the most important person. I'm somebody who's preparing the way for somebody who's far greater than I am. And in fact, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. That was the way John the Baptist thought of himself, which is a good way to think of ourselves at times, isn't it? That when we serve, we're serving somebody who's greater and far more than you and I can ever be. Well, one day he sees Jesus coming towards him. And he says these words. In the NIV, it says, look, I quite like the old-fashioned word, behold, because it kind of has a slightly more power, but behold or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's some entrance, isn't it? That's some entrance. In churches, we don't have grand entrances, do we? Certainly not in this church. We just kind of get on with it. So I didn't get a big fanfare saying Dave's going to preach. We didn't have a big fanfare for Rob so that he could profess down the church or something. That's the style of this church. But in other places, there's more, of, there's more of an introduction. There's more of an entrance. You might think of sport. If you like sport, you'll quite often find that people like to have big entrances when it comes to sport. When the teams are introduced or when a particular uh, uh, sportsman is introduced, there's usually a, a big introduction. And this is Jesus' big introduction. Behold or look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And what John the Baptist was doing was right at the beginning, he was saying who Jesus was and what he'd come to do. 
He was somebody really special. If you were a Jew, you'd be thinking of various things. If I say the word lamb to you, I need a bit of feedback on this one. I don't want any Bible answers. If I just say the word lamb to you, what sort of things come to mind? Sorry? Woolly. I've got mint sauce from here. Any other things? Those nice little frisky things in the fields. We quite often see them bouncing around, don't we? So that would be the kind of association that you and I would have, you know, living in England, 21st century. But those people who were listening to, to John the Baptist, they would have different associations because they would have associated lambs with sacrifices. Sacrifices so that people's lives could be put right before God, so that sin could be forgiven. A lamb taking the place of the person who'd done the sin. So it was the lamb who lost the life, not the person. So when they were hearing, behold the Lamb of God, they weren't thinking of woolly things. They certainly weren't thinking, they might have been thinking of mint sauce, I don't know, because quite often they would eat the lamb. But they weren't thinking all these sort of nice cuddly pictures that you and I think of when it comes to lambs. They were thinking of God wanting to have a relationship with us. They were thinking of the sin that that was in between us and God. And they were thinking of God dealing with it. The only problem was that they just kept on offering the same sacrifices. And it went on and on and on. And God was going to provide the ultimate solution. His son was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. And that's why John points at Jesus and says, look, this is the Lamb of God. I guess they'd have been quite surprised, wouldn't they? (laughs) To actually have that said to a person, the Lamb of God. So right from the beginning, he was marked out as something special and to do something special. It meant that Jesus was going to die. Lambs weren't the fluffy creatures. Well, most lambs do die anyway, don't they? We, we, we tend not to think about it. But most of the lambs we see have been bred for a particular purpose. But they would have been thinking of a lamb that was going to die as a sacrifice for sin. That's not a nice thing to be said about you in, in terms of the beginning of your ministry, is it? There's the lamb of God. He's going to die. But God was going to come up with a way so that everybody could come to know him. It wasn't going to be a nice death. A lamb was slaughtered. And Jesus was going to endure the cross, wasn't he? And that's what we remember as we take communion. The death and the price that Jesus paid for us. But what was amazing, here's the lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. Isn't that good news? So although the context is a little bit sort of gory, what God is going to do is quite amazing. Everybody is going to benefit from what Jesus did, who's going to be able to take away the sin of the world. God was going to provide a solution. It was going to be his son. John later is going to write, And when he wrote it, he didn't think this is going to be the most famous verse ever written. But we think of it as that, don't we? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
so that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. And because God knew that we would perish, he was prepared to pay the ultimate cost for us. That's his love for us. Jesus came to do away with sin, to take away our sin. And we can think of it in different ways. Have you taken out the rubbish this week? Yeah? Where was it originally? It would have been in your house, wouldn't it? And I don't know what the journey was, you know, from your house to the roadside. It might have been one step. It might have gone to a sort of somewhere else and then to a bin and then out to the roadside. But your rubbish went out there. And then what happened to the rubbish? At least I hope the, I hope the bin man came around this week. Your rubbish was hopefully taken away, wasn't it? And, you know, what happened to it? You don't care. It's been taken away. And that's really the picture that Jesus gives us of, of how God deals us with our sin. He takes it away. And, you know, where, where all the debris and, and, and all the stuff that I put in, I don't know where it is. I don't know where it is. And that's how God wants us to, to think about what he's done with our sin. He's taken it away. He's taken it away. And I no longer I'm responsible for it. He's dealt with it, and through him, I can know forgiveness. Well, that's how Jesus was introduced as the Lamb of God. But when I was thinking about this talk, I kind of thought, well, actually, there's a lot more that the New Testament says about Jesus being the Lamb of God. There are two references in John's Gospel. So, a few verses later on, in, in verse 36, uh, the next day it says, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So he said it on two consecutive days. And then you have to go to a book that's, that we don't always turn to. It's the book of Revelation. Because it's in that book that we see more references to Jesus being the Lamb of God than in any other book. And we're just going to very, very briefly have a look at the Lamb in Revelation. So my apologies that I haven't got the, the page numbers in the Bible, but I'm in Revelation chapter 5, and we're just going to be reading the first six verses. Sometimes Revelation is a book that we can struggle with. We can have lots of ideas as to, as to what's going on. You're probably not going to have... Uh, I'm not going to give away too much of what I think on Revelation. But what I want us to focus on is Jesus as the Lamb of God. Because that's what God wants us to know as we read this book. It's a strange book. There's lots of things going on. There's sort of fantastic creatures. And for all the things we don't understand we can at least understand when it talks about the Lamb of God, can't we? Because we know that that is Jesus. So as I say, don't worry if there are things that, if we read, that you're not too sure what that means. Just focus on what we do know, which is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. So this is John. He's having a vision. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See or behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. There are bits there that we don't understand, aren't there? Let's be honest. It's also giving us a picture of stuff that is beyond what you and I normally see. But God wants us to have a vision of who he is and how important Jesus is. John's in heaven and there's a scroll. Now I'm going to give the game away because when you read the rest of Revelation, so if, if, if you're the kind of person who, who doesn't want to know, say, who won, who won Strictly last night, I don't know actually, but we have what's called spoiler alerts, don't we? And uh, I'm going to give the game away. This scroll, when you read the rest of Revelation, is, if you like, the unfolding of history. It's what's going to happen. And God is wanting, if you like, somebody to take responsibility for that. It's quite a big responsibility, isn't it? To be responsible for history. And... It's very dramatic, isn't it? So a big cry goes out. Who is worthy to open this book and to break the seals? And John is there. If you like, I can remember I had a dream last night. It was all mixed up and crazy. John is there in a very, very vivid way. And nobody responds. And he starts to weep. And he doesn't just say, I wept. He says, I wept and I wept. He's sobbing, isn't he? Because he realises that no one is worthy to take this book, to, to take the scroll and, and to open it. And then somebody says, look, or behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is worthy. Now, if I pointed you towards the door and said, look, there's a lion coming, what would be your expectations? You'd expect something sort of big and fearsome, wouldn't you? And if a little pussycat walked in, you'd be a little bit surprised, wouldn't you? Now, I'm not, just, I'm not saying Jesus is a little pussycat, but it's, it's that kind of surprise that John would have had. He was expecting to see somebody who was sort of if you like big and triumphant, the lion figure, and he looks, and what does he see? He sees the lamb, doesn't he? He sees the crucified Christ. And because, if you like, this isn't reality, he actually sees the lamb, he says, as it had been slain, but it's still alive. Okay? So here's the Jesus of the cross. Here's our saviour. Here's the one who went to the cross in our place. He's the one who actually bought our salvation. And he's the one that's going to be entrusted with history. Who understands what's going on at the moment? 
Come on, I've, I've, I've come to this wise gathering, all, these, all, all the wisdom of this year. I'm expecting somebody to say, yeah, I understand. It's not the case, is it? We're all sort of scratching our heads in this country and as we look abroad, you know, what on earth is going on? What on earth is going on? Well, we might have different ideas as to what's going on. But the picture that God wanted to give, if you like, his church as he closed off scripture was that the lamb is in control. That God has entrusted history to our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you go through Revelation, there's going to be lots and lots of references to the lamb. He's always there. We might have different thoughts as to what's going on, but he's always there. He's always looking after his own. It was good, the passage that we read in Luke. Jesus was, if you like, telling his disciples what it was going to be like. Would you have wanted to be a disciple of Jesus? <laughs> what was he saying? He says, you're going, to have, you're going to have problems. You're going to be persecuted. You're not going to be everybody's favorite. You're going to have real difficulties. He makes the point that some of them are even going to lose their lives. That was the reality for the people who were first century Christians. That was the reality for those people who were receiving the letter to the Revelation. We actually live in very different circumstances, don't we? We're not persecuted. We're not poor. We've got so much. But when Jesus sent his disciples out as he prepared them in Luke chapter 21, he said, look, it's going to be tough. You're going to be opposed. You're going to be persecuted. At the end of Matthew, he said this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And that's what God shows us in Revelation, that he's with us all the time. He's, he's going to be the central player. The lamb is going to take center stage. And right at the end of Revelation, if you want to read, say, Revelation chapters 20 and 21 and 22, you'll find that it's, again, all about the lamb. These are some of the descriptions that John writes. He says, I saw no temple. He's, he's, he's describing the new Jerusalem where, if you like, the lamb has dealt with everything. He's dealt with sin. He's dealt with death. He's dealt with all the worldly systems that oppose God. He's dealt with the devil himself. And now God can just live with you and I, the people that he gave his son for. And this is how he describes it at the end. I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. It's kind of, what does he mean? Well, when we worship, it's all going to be about him. You know, in heaven, we're still going to be worshipping our, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He says, the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of, of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. He's always there. And, 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 and if you like, at the end of time, as we enter eternity, it will all be about God. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. So as we come to communion, it's a personal thing, isn't it? We confess our sins. I can't confess your sins, and you can't confess my sin. 
We come to Jesus, don't we, as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. And we can have confidence, can't we, that what he did on the cross is real and it works for us because that's what Jesus came to do. But we can also see our lives, if you like, within a big world that we don't always understand, that isn't always fair, that isn't always just, where perhaps we've suffered because of various things. Jesus is in control. Jesus has got you in the palm of his hands. Jesus is looking after you. And he's not just looking after you, he's actually knowing everything that's going on. And one day, one day the Jesus who we worship will put an end to all the things that have caused us so much grief and aggro. And if you like, our hope as Christians is that one day we will see him as he is. And we will be able to worship the Lamb of God forever and ever. Amen.